yep. <laughs> and then she told us what she needed to tell us and then she was like oh i'm going to australia for two weeks so you won't have to worry about me you know knocking on your door for the next fortnight and i was like fuck off <laughs> like fuck you <laughs> like you know what i mean it's like you're so aware of what you're doing hmm. and yet you continue to darken our doorstep anyway hi ironically australian yeah and that's Danny... where great neighbors come from <laughs> <laughs> you like that why one? is it about like every Austra- every fucking australian movie making it look like a nightmarish hellscape like i'm thinking of like mad max the rover wolf creek this like just a, a downpour of bad times i guess it's kind of got that the same sort of industry as like the british one where there's a lot of emphasis on social realism yeah yeah yeah. um there's yeah then you get crocodile dundee which is probably more of an american film but that makes the outlet outback look great it does it looks yeah. look like a lot of fun yeah um but do you think it's to do with the fact that the outback is like i guess the closest real world place we have to like your your sort of traditional apocalypsey looking place you know what i mean yeah like the kind of just desert well it's kind for of miles on yeah, end killer we, animals roaming the roaming the lands deserts do attract this idea of death don't they they certainly do because there's a severe lack of because people die there yeah. <laughs> there's a severe lack of water in a desert um so it's like a, a bad place for us to yeah because i i need water that's always what they're after in apocalypse movies isn't yeah it? always after that sweet h2o i mean if, if it was like a lush land where there was ponds everywhere you'd be like yeah this doesn't seem too bad as good <laughs> this is actually all right but i just think it's like because obviously mad max and the rover are both post-apocalyptic films set in australia mm-hmm. it's like man as if it wasn't already a hard time being in the apocalypse but we also have to be in the apocalypse in a place that is already hot and already deserted and already full of deadly creatures i mean they literally used to use it as a prison yeah the whole island was just one big prison <laughs> is that a trait that was born out of mad max like the apocalyptic poca- the apocalypse world being very sandy is that very is that from mad max oh i don't know is there anything that we'd have to go it? we'd have to deep dive into yeah. apocalypse movies because i don't have time for that danny i don't think, know about you i can't think of any earlier apocalypse films that featured deserts but then mad max is like fairly old but then the original mad max the first mad max is such an odd such an odd film because it's it's not quite the apocalypse yet in the first mad max yeah. it's such a bizarre one but then it kind of is hmm. but there's still a semblance of sort of order yeah in the first man well, he's a policeman isn't he? yeah it's not until you hit road warrior where it's the proper the the iconic kind of everything's yeah. but a then desert would that be and... because if there's never re- if there's if the apocalypse has never been depicted as a desert before mad max then you would have that sort of like introduce introducing the idea and not 100 yeah. percent commitment and then the people who made mad max one going actually i can really see this desert apocalypse working and then insert it all into mad max 2 because what modern films do we have now that aren't Australian, where the apocalypse is the desert? With the uh, Book of Eli, uh, that l- classic Lego Movie Part Two. <laughs> Topical. You saw that today. <laughs> I saw that today, and uh, there's a lot of Mad Max 
parodies in it. Yeah, it's it's, it's apocalyptic. Like it's like a what you, what would you call it? It's like a parody of apocalyptic uh-huh. world. And of course, as a parody of apocalyptic world, it's sand, just a desert, a big 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 desert, a big old desert. So a, a, a desert made so, of Lego. Yeah, yellow bricks. Is that how they make it? Or is it like the land looks normal and all the buildings are Lego? And the cars are Lego? No, everything's Lego. Because even like when smoke comes up, it's like Lego shaped. Oh. I've not seen it. Like the first one. Will yeah. Ferrell was made of Lego. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the time he was. <laughs> not all of the time. Um, I went to see Mad Max in the cinema recently. Yeah. I went to like a late night screening. <clears throat> and uh, we... You know, it was 11 o'clock at night. People were trying to smuggle in some beer. Yeah. You know, because... But what we didn't anticipate was that there would be security guards on the door. Um, So we had two beers in Katie's bag and then two beers in my pocket. And they only searched Katie's bag. They didn't search my pocket. <laughs> Sexism at work, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, It's those women that are stealing the... Um, smuggling the alcohol in. It was hilarious, though, because you were just seeing, like, people getting like bottles of wine and stuff pulled out of their bags and things like that because i just don't think anyone expected to get searched because yeah. when was the last time you got searched going into the cinema hmm. but i get they knew what to expect a bunch of people coming at 11 o'clock at night on a friday <laughs> to see mad max for your road like there's going to be some bevies <laughs> um which i feel is in keeping with the film that we're about to talk about yeah the idea of going to whatever well they don't have to go to extreme lengths it seems to be the one thing that comes to them quite naturally alcohol but yeah flows uh, more than water in this town specifically beer yeah and uh, a bit of whiskey but beer some you, tomato juice but mostly beer were you watching this movie and thinking like oh, i could go a beer i was to begin with after a while I it felt starts like, to feel sickening doesn't yeah because yeah. uh, the characters in this film drink beer so much it does after a while make you go i just don't feel it be sick of it by now yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm starting to feel that you know when you drink too much beer that sort of bloated feeling yeah of, okay oh i feel like a big bowl of beer because i don't think they're drinking you know i don't think they're drinking good, good shit <laughs> i don't think they're drinking like crossing the rubicon i'm no. pretty sure that's like bottom of the barrel just like just just sort of mildly fizzy piss water. diluted like yeah like basically just gutter water right. budweiser <laughs> <laughs> they're probably drinking budweiser the king of beers shout out to budweiser sponsor <laughs> definitely not a sponsor. we just called you piss um so do you want to introduce the show and then we'll talk what's good hey people of people oh bloody hell man are you gonna do, are you gonna introduce him with the aussie accent man <laughs> no absolutely not because i can't do accents but i'll say are good we gonna get, are we get, is this offensive I don't even know what No, they're that white, was. so it's fine. Don't yeah. worry about it. It's all good. <laughs> Except the Aboriginals. Well, they're not white. Yes. A lot of racism in Australia, from what I understand. Yeah, well. Doesn't matter, not this podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Racism in Australia podcast. Let's really get down to it. Uh, g'day, people of Peopleton. Welcome to Second Opinion Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Jones, and the Prime Minister of Australia himself. Oh, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> it's a fun joke. Everybody Scott takes- Morrison. I don't think he he's doing a good job, but I don't know. Again, different <laughs> podcast. Ah, <laughs> uh, like go back to our Australian racism Australian and our, or our Australian politics. Two podcast. Scottish boys host an Australian politics podcast. Do you reckon you could do a better job of being prime minister of, of uh, Australia? Do you reckon you could do a good job? In a word, 
Yeah. Give yes. me one word. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I imagine if you campaign against him, it's Scott Morrison versus Scott Morrison. Head to head. Yeah. I could fucking take him. In a straight up like kangaroo boxing <laughs> style match, like I could take him. But which one's the kangaroo? He's oh. Australian, so I guess he's. Yeah, I get. Yeah. 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 I'd be wearing a kilt. <laughs> Is it? I assume it's the same as America, where like you have to be born in America to become president. I assume it's the same situation, right? Or oh, can I just <laughs> jump over there? Like, I don't know. All right, laddies, I'm here know. to rule your country. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know for prime ministers if you have to be born there. You obviously have to have citizenship, but yeah. I'm not. I'm, for prime minister, you might only you don't might not necessarily have to be born in the country. Yeah. Something that. So okay, we'll talk about the movie and then we'll get into the things that we're talking. Or sorry, we'll we'll pitch the movie. So we just watched a film called Wake and Fright, right? From 1979. This one has been a long time coming. I've wanted to watch this film, genuinely for I think maybe a year and a half since I first found out about it. Because, and obviously this isn't the sound point, but I, I got it, so, I had it sold to me as it was kind of like Australia's The Wicker Man. <laughs> um, and it was incredibly sort of brutal. And that in particular, there was a scene that caused a lot of controversy, which is there, there's a scene where the characters go hunting kangaroos and they actually hunted and killed kangaroos on camera. And that was kind of like a big controversy. And then also, apparently, apparently they just lost the film. Yeah, okay. For like a great many years. So this is something that I found really interesting. Um, that seems very Australian in spirit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, mate. Um, Here, Patrick, where'd you put that film? Okay, so where did Patrick, I see it? That's so, a terrible film. I don't know the name for Australian. Patrick, what are you thinking of, Danny? <laughs> so apparently, um, apparently for years, the only known print of the film was found in Dublin which I don't know how it ended up there <laughs> you'd think it would be Melbourne maybe <laughs> yeah. Sydney hmm. Perth I it's a county not yeah. Sydney but I'll go with it another Australian place I can't think of Melbourne no I said that one. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so apparently it was only fi- it, the know. only copy was in Dublin and they considered it I'm reading this mostly off Wikipedia mm-hmm. considered it insufficient quality for transfer to DVD or video for a commercial release so for a while there the, there was just no way to see this movie like they just they just lost it and it wasn't until apparently 1994 when the film's editor found a preserved copy of the film in Pittsburgh oh sorry eight years after 1994 it took him eight years to find a copy of this movie and he found it in Pittsburgh that's insane right mm. and it was he found it in a uh, he found the negatives for the film in a shipping container labelled for destruction <laughs> So he managed to rescue the material, uh, which formed the basis of the film's painstaking 2009 restoration. Um, and so now that's led to it being able to be released on DVD and Blu-ray, which is how we saw it. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, for a film... That's crazy, though, yeah. right? <laughs> for a film that was lost for that long, the, the film looks good. Right? It the does co- look The good. copy we watched was really good. Yeah. yeah like, it, was, it didn't feel like a... In some old films, you get some of like the imperfections and stuff that are kind of left on as it rolls through, like from the the film itself. But that one, I didn't notice anything like that. So, just done a good job. I thought it was a really good, like, perfectly, perfectly watchable. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously, it's you know, it's from. I'm pretty sure I got 
the oh sorry I'm I'm actually way off. 1979 has been generous. The film came out in 1971. 71. 71. Wow. For something shot in 71, that looked not bad. Yeah. That looked just good. in general like restoration aside. I feel like it it didn't have that problem that I feel a lot of time periods films from that time period have, which is like the phone is ringing in the other room. Now we have to film the character walk for five minutes to the other room <laughs> because well we paced. can't. We can't. Yeah, it's very well paced. I thought. Um, so, Wake and Fright. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you the. Have you seen the the sort of the tagline for this no, film? Because I, I feel like it. It literally sums up the movie quite well. Right. So I'm I'm walking to the cinema and I see a poster for Wake and Fright <laughs> and I'm like, I wonder what that film's about. I'm reading the tagline and Scott Morrison. What does it say? Should I do it in an Australian accent? Uh, well, obviously, if I'm reading a poster, I'm reading obviously, it in yeah. a Scottish accent. So that the, Australian. Have a drink, mate. Have a fight, mate. Have a taste of dusted sweat, mate. There's nothing else out here. Ooh. Wake and Fright. Pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah. That sums up what we've just watched. Yeah. Um. So, Wake and Fright is about a school teacher, uh, whose name was John Grant. Good job. I am the greatest motherfucker that you're ever gonna meet. I can. I, every time he said his name, I couldn't help but think that. What's that? It's a song by an artist called John Grant. Oh. Good for John. Yeah. <laughs> um. Just. To- so he is a school teacher uh, and he's teaching in Tabunda, uh, which is an incredibly remote town. Yeah. Which is the funny thing about this. Again, we'll get to all this. I'll, I'll summarize the plot and then we'll get... So, yeah, he, he is teaching in this uh, school in this kind of just outback town with not a whole lot in it. Um, he kind of reveals close to the start of the movie that the way you become a teacher... I, I assume this isn't still a thing, but in 1971's Australia, the way you become a teacher was you put up front a thousand dollars. You effectively paid them hmm. to become a teacher, and then that was like you paid. That was like your contract, and then they just send you to wherever the fuck they feel like. The idea being that you couldn't pick and choose mm-hmm. what um, school you would go to. You, if it was, if it was the most remote school in the world, you're a billion miles from anywhere else. You'd have to because they hold in a thousand pounds of yours, mm-hmm. which is a very, it's a strange system. It is. I get it though, because I do, just yeah. wouldn't want to work in somewhere that remote. Yeah. So how do you get a teacher to work that? So you think you just pay your thousand dollars and just hope you get lucky? I guess if you need the job, you just gamble it, don't you? Yeah. Like a thousand pounds and hope I get a decent place. Mm. It's a strange one. But so anyway, he, he has a holiday. He's got Christmas break. So he decides he's going to go back to Sydney uh, to visit his girlfriend. Um, to catch a flight from Sydney, he has to stop for a night in a place called Bundayaba? But known as the Yabba. The Yabba, which is a mining town, again, just out back. Doesn't seem to be a whole lot going on, aside from mining. Um, so he's supposed to stay there for one night. He ends up drinking with a local police officer. Drinking heavily. Yeah. Who then, the police officer introduces him to this very simple but very intense gambling situation that they have set up in this town whereby people will bet hundreds of dollars on what is effectively a coin flip 
Um, and so he kind of ends up getting involved in it. And he, you know, puts down a couple hundred and he ends up winning crazy money. And so he gets back to his hotel room and he's all excited and he's like, if I just put this money on, I can make my thousand pounds and I can buy myself out of teaching in the fucking middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, so he goes back, gambles his money, shock horror, he loses. And he is now stranded in the Yabba without a penny to his name. Or I think he has a dollar a dollar yeah, to his name because he had to put for his hotel to get the key he had to put a deposit down of a mm-hmm. dollar and then he gets that back the next day and it's his only yeah. only thing he has so the film then sort of follows him kind of stumbling into various situations with various different members of this town mm-hmm. uh he ends up sort of drinking a lot with a lot of strange people. A lot of intense people. Yeah. Like intensely friendly. Where it's like... There, there's a there's a bit where he, he, he kind of sums it up towards the end of the movie. Just, we're getting into the end of the movie. So, but like, where, where he says to the guy, you know, he's like... like The guy says to him, oh, come and have a drink with me. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm done drinking. And the guy's like, why won't you fucking come and have a drink with me? And he's like, what is wrong with you people? Like, I could fucking... Uh, I could assault you, I could rob you, I could rape your entire family, and you, none of you would care. But God forbid I turn you down for a drink and I'm the biggest criminal you've ever met. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's how intense this place is. Mm. It kind of reminded me of, I remember there was a meme floating around at, at Christmas. Love a meme. There was a meme floating around at Christmas and it was like, when you go home to your hometown for Christmas. And I, get, I think it's like a snapshot from some kind of sketch, but the guy's like, there's nothing to do here except <laughs> drink. <laughs> it's very much that feel, yeah. Which I've always said about Aberdeen. Yeah. Like, I'm always like, whenever I go back, we end up just out of the pub a lot because, like, I, there's never usually much else to do. I will never complain about Aberdeen again after watching that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, ends up sort of in various situations, but specifically ends up kind of spending a few days with a guy who goes by the name of Doc, mm. who Is was it, yeah he was he's a disgraced doctor yeah. from Sydney, an alcoholic who basically lives in a in a shack in the Yabba and gives out medical advice not for money but for beer and food basically. Mm. And so he manages to live there. Yeah, he basically completely free. He, he, he kind of says he just lives off like everybody else's generosity. Yeah. So he just has like a fridge fill of beer, and he's got food and stuff. But it it's entirely given to him because he and says think, that people the people there are are, are hospitable. Yeah. Like they are all giving people. But like I said, it's it's like an intense, hmm. like a very intense kind of friendliness that well yeah because the first guy the first guy he encounters who's a friend of doc he goes into a pub and the guy offers to buy him a pint he's like oh no man i've got no money i haven't got money to drink and uh, he's like no i have a pint i'm not asking you to buy me one i'm offering you a pint and he gets so angry he shouts and like everybody in the whole bar looks over and like these yeah. two people all he's doing is offering a pint he's like so aggressive it's yeah. weird it's very strange i wish i wish people would aggressively offer to buy me alcohol more often <laughs> be nice wouldn't it it would be nice yeah but it's always like you're at the bar and you're like oh, well i guess i'll get my wall out oh what are you having like you know what i mean i always <laughs> feel slightly unsettled when someone buys me a drink and I, i'm always unsettled until i've got 
the next round and I've brought really? down my drink. Yeah. I'm always, there's a, there's a slight part of me that's like, because mm. I, I, there's a paranoid part of me in the back of my head that if I left and I haven't paid for their drink, I'm thinking, do you know what they're thinking right now? And they're thinking, look at that fucking cunt uh, walking out, not buying tight drink. arse motherfucker. <laughs> I'm not even um, a, uh, a necessarily tight person. I'm just like sitting there going, right, I'll feel a lot better once I've bought them a drink. And once this, once a round system has started, it's fine. Everyone's everyone's cool after that. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of your general plot. Yeah. Is your kind of well-educated school teacher ends up broke and stranded in this very intense sort of outback town. Hmm. Um, I can kind of see where the, the the Wicker Man part came from. It's kind of like it is. It does have elements of the Wicker Man without the Wicker Man stuff. Yeah, like it doesn't have the same kind of cult paranormal. Well, there's not really paranormal stuff, but the same kind of cult aspect that the Wicker Man has. Mm. It doesn't have that, but I can see it's that isolation. The comparison, yeah, yeah. I, it's very, isolation. Very isolated. Th- these people who live in a very very specific way, hmm. and their world is kind of constricted to this one town and then you're just this stranger in amongst this world and they have all these strange traditions that they do you know where they they play this coin flip game and they drink beer literally just in they will just drink a bottle in one go and then just move on to the next one and everyone just buys each other beer and buys fucking shitloads of it and yeah just come over to my house in the middle of the day strange man and we'll just keep drinking. Oh, you've <laughs> just woken up in the morning, have you? Yeah, have, yeah, have a beer. A beer. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the big thing with the film is like, I think the whole movie, they're all drinking. Yeah. The whole time. It's aggressive. That's what I mean when, we, when you get to the end of it, even a beer, the best beer drinker like, will go, this feels Yeah. Like Which I thought was interesting because I've, I know a lot of people who have been to Australia and they all say that the price of beer is really expensive over there. It is a different time, I suppose. It is a different time. Late 60s. They buy 70s. a steak for a pound in this movie. A dollar. And not sorry, a dollar. And not just a not just a steak. Like a full like yeah. granted it looks terrible. Oh. But like a full surf and turf. It gets thrown to the gush. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, give me a steak. <laughs> for a dollar. Yeah, it gets steak. So I'm like, how much is the beer? Yeah. You get steak, chips, uh, two uh, rolls and two fried eggs. Two fried eggs. <laughs> Which is insane. <laughs> dollar. You know what you can get for a pound now? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely sawed all. In terms of you could you could go to Greg's and get one sausage roll for ninety five p. I reckon that's the best you're gonna do. Yeah. Not sponsored by Greg's either. No. Have a Greg's and a Budweiser. Can't get a vegan sausage roll. Only a regular sausage. Have roll. you tried the vegan sausage roll? I have tried. The Did vegan you? Sausage. Yeah. I want to, but I've not. I've not really been to greg's recently <laughs> i happened to go in and i wasn't expecting it to be there and um uh oh. we we went in and we were like yeah let's give it a try it's very much um distracting very so slightly you know when you have like a scotch pie and there's like a what's it's not like spices in like spicy but there's that taste of spice in okay it. that's kind of what the vegan sausage roll tastes like hmm. it's like it's got a bit of a spice to it, it does t- it t- it i nice. do want to try it yeah i hate fucking shit like fucking i mean pierce morgan's a yeah. Let's face it, he's a cunt. He's yeah. a horrible, he's a horrible, terrible, person. terrible person. Yeah, I, I saw him like spitting it out on TV and stuff. That's but he said something that annoys the fuck out of me. And I hate when people say stuff like this in terms of uh, vegan stuff. Like, he's like, oh, why, 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 why would you go into Greg's if you're trying to be healthy? Why would you go to Greg's if you're trying to be healthy? And then people who are like, 
Oh well, well, I, I hear the buddy Greg sausage roll, the the vegan one. I hear it's got two times as many calories as the regular sausage roll. Oh, and did you hear about the man who went on a vegan diet for for a month and he put on two stone? Bloody, if if you're on a vegan diet, I'm gonna assume it's not for health reasons. Mm. It's for fucking moral reasons. So this whole fucking little tirade people go on where, where, where it's clearly just all bullshit anyway but like i hate that shit because it's like that's probably not the reason yeah. someone is is vegan it's not because they're watching their weight it's for moral reasons I, and i just it fucking annoys me so when i saw him like somebody missed an opportunity to by not lacing that fucking sausage roll <laughs> with something yeah cyanide <laughs> absolutely get fucking Piers morgan out of here I want him gone. Yes, <laughs> go away. Um, yeah, I hate that shit. We I've started using corn chicken now. Yeah, because I want to use less meat, and I used a lot of chicken, so I'm using like corn chicken now. It's like corn chicken pieces, but also, again, not sponsored by corn, but like a bag of like ch- corn chicken pieces, like one pound fifty. It lasts fucking ages. Like, yeah, that's loads, cool. Loads of chicken in that bag. You know what you get for like how much re- real chicken you get for like four pound. <laughs> None. Yeah, <laughs> one fucking breast of chicken. It's not enough. No. Not for a grown man like yourself. Not for a big old boy like me. I need at least a bag. <laughs> <laughs> um So yeah, so what did you what did you think of this? I really liked this film. I also liked it a whole lot. It's not what I was expecting, especially cuz um you you were talking about before we'd watched it like um a, um a f- like a few months ago had that sort of wicker man angle. And like, um, for a while, it does seem like it's going in that direction. Yeah, but like, it's um, like I thought he was going to be held in the town by like I thought it was going to be one of those things of like he keeps trying to leave, but things keep happening to where he can't leave. Yeah, but he does it to himself completely. It's, yeah, it's more subtle than that. It's um, and it's not the townspeople aren't bad people in that necessary sort of um, cultish sense, like the Wicker Man. Yeah, like it's more. It's almost this isolated boredom, yeah, that comes from it, and like he's John Grant is like now integrated into it, and he doesn't spend that dollar at all. I don't no. think, and that the whole film, even though he gets he gets food and he gets drunk so much, he even gets a gun at one point. He's given a gun, yeah. Um, <clears throat> like throughout the whole, he still doesn't spend that dollar. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Because he gets by on the, like that guy said, he gets by on the hospitality of <clears throat> everyone else. But to get by on that hospitality, you have to hang around with these kind of horrible people. Yeah. Just real, like, lowest of the kind of low that he deals with. Like Doc, hmm. you know, a disgraced doctor who literally works for beer to, you know, fund his alcohol addiction. and Yeah you know people that uh, th- these guys who are going out and shooting a kangaroo in the middle of the woods and then you know boxing the wounded kangaroo to death like yeah. not uh, people who just roll up in front of a bar and just start chucking rocks and stuff through the mm. windows unprovoked for no reason whatsoever just really shitty people <laughs> yeah um but like you said but like you said when it comes to when it comes to beer and food and stuff They'll fucking hook you up. Like, they'll keep you fed and watered. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost like... Um, yeah. It's, um... 
a very weird dynamic. And it's actually a lot more interesting than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, because he kind of gets into it, John Grant. Yeah. Like he does. He very much he he, he shoots kangaroos. He even like fights one. Mm-hmm. Um, but he seems at a constant kind of. He does gen- seem at a constant kind of tug of war with himself about yeah. whether he's what he's doing is right or wrong. About it. Yeah. Especially during the whole kind of kangaroo sequence. <clears throat> there's a lot of moments where he's like laughing and loving it and shooting the kangaroos, but then there's other moments where he clearly seems like taken aback by it all. And he'll say to the, you know, they're like egging him on to, you know, like fight the kangaroo. And he's like, it's just a kid and it's wounded. Like, mm. it's not, it's not doing anything. And, but they're just like, no, oh, come on, fucking do it. It's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was like really interesting. Mm. Well, it's a bit where um, they go to the bar and uh, he uh, they spot a fox and they start shooting at him. And uh, John Grant's the one that gets him. He's like, I fucking got him. And he jumps over to go get the fox. And they're like, ah, don't, don't go. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, it's you just shooting at the fox. You don't just for the sake of yeah, it. Yeah. You don't actually. It, there's no. There's no intention. You don't want it for anything. You're just shooting at the fox. And, yeah. And John Grant has this weird moment where he's like, he's about to go get it. And he's like, oh, okay. Guess I'll come like you back. said, it's doing it almost out of that that boredom, hmm. just that intense boredom that they must deal with living somewhere like that. So, so absurdly isolated. What, uh, what did you think about like him as a character, John Grant? Um, I like that he's like. I relate to like his awareness of how imposing he feels. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of frustration frustration with that because uh, people often to buy him beer he's like I haven't got money to like drink and they're like no I'm paying for the beer and he doesn't like he doesn't want to outstay someone's welcome yeah well, I think it's all but I, th- I don't know if it's outstay I think a lot of the times he just wants he just gets to a point where he's like I don't want to be in this environment yeah now. like I need to get out of here but then it's also that thing of like where's he gonna go like if he, le- if he leaves this guy's you know nice house where all these you know intense people are drinking like where does he go from there yeah just out into the heat (laughs) with no like no plan or place to stay you know Hmm. i don't know whether like if i liked the character Um, yeah it's kind of hard because he's kind of he does he's very trapped at first he came off as a real piece of shit like at, at first when the police officer does genuinely just seem like he's trying to be a nice person hmm and he's coming off as a real dick towards him. And I'm like, hey, man, the guy's bought you like five beers. Like, how do you fucking get a grip? Hi. <laughs> um, but then as that kind of goes on and you kind of... It's just that relentlessness from the the sort of townspeople towards him. That relentless, like, no, come on, like, have a drink and do this and do that. No, no, no. It's like, okay, I could definitely see why. Like, he needs to have a... He needs to put his foot down. He needs to have, mm. like, a firmer grasp on this situation and tell these guys to back off. Yeah, it's interesting. I also feel like it's um, almost no coincidence that he's he's English because he does come across as very sort of... Obviously, there's something almost inherent in that English accent where it's trying to be well-mannered and yeah. stuff, and then he's surrounded by these sort of very, very burly men, very, like, quite manly men... Um, just chugging back beer and like hassling the women a bit. Oh, what we like? Um, Is that that line in it? Where what was it? Um, what what's what's this guy's problem? He'd rather sit there to talk to a woman than drink. <laughs> um, like, wow, guys! <laughs> aye, the sixties were cruel to. Yeah. Them. Um, 
yeah they're very very um manly and he's kind of like he there's a very much feels like a almost a poshness to him because yeah. of his accent and like obviously he's educated mm. and, and stuff like that yeah yeah i i did i did like him like i said i like the kind of conflict that seemed to be going on the whole time um jump into the ending like did you f- so uh, toward at the end um he tries to hitchhike yes well so he has a kind of sort of sort of a weird interaction with doc yeah where i guess it's meant to be is it in, are they trying to imply that doc tries to come on to him i think they imply that they have some sort of sexual encounter yeah because uh, they're very very drunk they come back from the kangaroo because doc talks because um there he meets um janet who's the daughter of one of the guys he's drinking with and um doc says that he kind of has like a like he has some sort of relationship with janet and that mm. they do have sex and then he talks about how they're into sort of unorthodox stuff um so that kind of plays on it so when they're when doc and john are really really drunk there's like a, a moment where he's on top of him and like you don't it, it kind of it was only implication that yeah. something may have happened because they kind of wake up the next morning next and they're to kind each of other. on top of each other yeah yeah and um so it's like it's like a sense that something might have happened and because he gets up grant gets up or john grant gets up and is sort of very suddenly very like disgusted by the whole situation yeah. that he's in and i was like okay is he now just is he just kind of coming around again to like i'm in a hut with this you know this guy mm. or i was like is there meant to be like a sexual aspect to this situation i think there's a i think it's very much a sexual aspect um i think it also goes into the sort of conflict between john and doc whereas they're both educated men mm-hmm. and they're like two sides of the same coin, coin where like, like the coin that they put over <laughs> heads or tails which one's heads which one's tails um john grant like i think i think it's the theme of the film the theme of the film is kind of content and uh doc uh, is very briefly introduced at the beginning before they properly meet where he says that uh discontent is a luxury of a rich man yeah um which i thought was a really really interesting idea is that uh, he also talks about the first line doc says is uh what is it uh the little devils the little devils like it's like the little devils love their s- Love their love their paradise in hell or something, something like that. Where he he can basic basically says that like he's talking about how if you live in a hellhole like this, you have to be content with it. Yeah, because everybody talks about it as if it's the greatest place on earth. Yeah. Oh yeah. Even the taxi driver is like, uh, it's the great. Oh, it's a shame you're only staying for one night. It's a great place, great town in Australia. And he's like, why is that? And he's like, oh, I don't know. The the people are friendly. Yeah. It doesn't he's matter like, where you're from. Everybody's friendly. Everybody's yeah. gonna have a good time. Yeah. Um, which you feel like you in a small town quite often you get that sort yeah. of even a- anywhere in the world if you go to a small town you get that sort of um pride in it um and doc suggests that like hell is like um these people um are in like a hell hole but they've become content with it because they've got no choice there then they can't leave or anything that they're just they're just here they're stuck here and um doc is clearly a, a an educated man who is is become content with his life uh and john is not content with his life he Mm. wants to gamble the um his money to get the thousand pounds so that he doesn't have to stay in the isolated the isolated town he's from he wants out he wants back to the city he wants Mm. with his girlfriend who you he always fantasizes about near the ocean and free and like stuff like that um 
whereas Doc's content. So there's like a almost yeah. So it's kind of uh, I can't remember my original point there, but there's a <laughs> um, where where it's like Doc is a. Uh, given up civilization and he's sort of more open to sexuality and he's um he's like he's open to homo uh, for for homosexual like experiences whereas john granton is not he's part of um society he wants to return to it and stuff and yeah yeah it's um maybe a little unfortunate with the the um sexuality politics there whether like homosexuality kind of represents a freedom or represents savagery or something yeah but again I, like early I, six uh, late 60s yeah. early 70s you've always it's a got bit to, sketchy you've always got to take something like that you, with the yeah you've got context, to contextualize context so, the yeah. time yeah and um, so it's a bit sketchy there but like um i don't think the film intends any sort of mean militia with it it's like um because the the end of the story uh john grant um does become content he decides to just accept his situation. He goes back to the town um, that he's a school teacher in, and he's just kind of even like happy. Yeah. Because when he leaves that town on a train, he passes these like Australians who are like drinking and singing, and they like, oh, join in, join in, and he's like, no, thank you, I don't, I don't want to. I'm going mm-hmm. to go to the front of the train away from you guys. But on his way back, he, yeah, he, he, he grabs a beer. Yeah. He grabs a beer and he kind of joins into the sort of camaraderie. So he's kind of by the end of it, he's become content. So he's seen everything from Doc's perspective, Mm -hmm. even to the point where he has a suitcase that's filled, like has books in it, and he dumps the books. Like he dumps his sort of educational um, side of himself. Um, So yeah, it's kind of... First, he's disgusted with the homosexual... uh, Well, the implication of homosexual relationship, maybe because that represents the the sort of Doc's way of thinking of life. Mm. Um, and he's not ready to embrace that until the ending of the film, which I'm sure we'll go to in a minute. Yeah, well, because I was going to say, do you, I, I totally agree with that, 100%. I feel like, yeah, he, he, like what you just said, he kind of ends up embracing their their way of life. Hmm. Like, in what you said, like he abandons his kind of more educated side and embraces the content side of life. And But I found it odd that, minutes before that is kind of that kind of happens he tries to kill himself yeah well that's kind of his lowest point isn't it yeah um because what happens is that he tries to hitchhike out the town and he's reasonably successful till he gets to this lorry which is i've got a company name of sydney on it so he tries to buy like he, he gives his rifle to this guy to get like a um a ride to sydney but there's been a mistake a mishap and uh, it turns out that um, it's not going to Sydney. It's coming back to the Yabba, uh, which is very unfortunate for John. Um, yeah, that scene is hilarious. Where he's like, oh, I, like I thought we were going to Sydney. And the guy's like, well, I, I thought you said city. And you're like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like, he knew exactly what you were fucking doing. He comes back to the Yabba. The play, like, he comes back to square one. That probably really ice, uh, like, um, like ice, like emphasizes the isolation of Jong. Like he's tried to leave this town and he's come right the way back. Mm-hmm. He then gets mad at Doc, I guess, because Doc mm-hmm. symbolizes like yeah, he's acceptance. everything about this place. Yeah, yeah. so uh, he goes, he goes to the place to kill Doc. He goes to Doc's uh, shack to kill him, and then decides um to kill himself. Like mm-hmm. he's. Sick of it all. He became Ohm's overworld, kills himself, and then Doc walks in just as he shoots himself, which presumably is why 
he survives. Yeah, because presumably he gets like I think it's meant to be implied that he gets enough of a shock that obviously throw like probably throws the gun off hmm. center or something. Yeah. Um, and then when he comes from that near death experience, that's when he decides to embrace it more. Um, he even though he doesn't talk to Doc, Doc comes and visits him. Yeah, I thought that was odd. Like Doc come Doc. So the the first thing the policeman comes to the hospital and gives pardon me gives him this sort of fake story about what happened mm. that he wants him to cite. John Grant signs it. No it's problem. A, the fake account is to say it was an accident, not a suicide. Yeah. Um, and then Doc comes and meets him outside the hospital. They don't really say anything to one another, and Doc puts him on a train back to the town that he teaches in. And that's it. There's kind of nothing said between the two of them. Hmm. And again, um, I think... I don't know if that's meant to represent that they come to some sort of understanding about each other. Yeah. Or... Maybe. I don't know. I, don't... I just found the way, the way the kind of last five or so minutes played out, I just found a little bit odd. I think in comparison to the rest of the film. Hmm. Just because, like you said, he, he kind of goes from this lowest point where he feels that killing himself is the only option to get out of this situation and then and then and then survives and then the next scene almost seems to embrace yeah that but he does it he it's weird because he embraces this like the isolation and the the um backwards towns and stuff but he doesn't embrace doc mm. which is kind of strange because considering doc's like the that equivalent of him mm-hmm yeah, I don't know what that's what yeah that's all about why he why he still rejects Doc, but he kind of embraces Doc's ideology. But maybe we're just reading into it wrong. No, I don't feel like I feel like he does become content at the end. That's why he takes the beer on the train. So I do feel like he becomes somewhat. Content. And he even says he says at the end, it's the you know, he's like best vacation I ever had. Yeah, and you're like, ho oh, oh, you nearly died. <laughs> People are gonna ask about that scar on your head. <laughs> Especially kids. Kids yeah. are fucking... Oh, can we see that scar? Mr. So Grant, that, Mr. Grant. What the fuck is going on in that classroom in the beginning, by the way? Like, the film starts and he's in the classroom and all the kids are just staring at him and he's just sat. And then the bell goes and he's like, all right, kids, goodbye, everyone. It's been great to see you. And they're all like... They all love him, seemingly. They're all like, yeah, thanks, Mr. Grant. Yeah, I guess it's that... It's that... Uh, you know when you went when you went to school the last day of but would you just be sitting, you'd at least be playing heads down thumbs up you know what I mean I don't know maybe there was supposed to be a pretense of like some sort of work but then they were mm. just like nah it's coming up to Christmas you know you're supposed to put on a movie that's what they always do yeah I just found that opening very bizarre but, so like because uh, we kind of had the whole wicker man thing in mind when we started mm. the film there's a scene quite close to the beginning where they're in a bar and suddenly everybody stands up and the lights go down and they salute or they, they sort of do a, a, a moment of silence in memory of soldiers who were lost mm. from this town. Did you think that was the first inkling of like something really weird's going yeah, on here? Because it's a very, very... Wait, I'd, say it's the most, I'd say it's the most bizarre moment of the film but that it, do, it doesn't really... Like, it doesn't ever... Like, the way that everybody kind of stops, and it is like a kind of cultish, like, zombie-ish kind of way where they all just suddenly stop what they're doing and pay attention to this thing, and the room goes red. And that felt like there was going to be some kind of weird, like, sort of maybe more supernatural element to it. 
but that never comes back up again no but i think the idea of that moment is to show you just how sort of how proud of the town it, they are or? Not, not even just necessarily how proud but how local they all are mm. how they are all members of their town and this is just a way of life for them like john grant is the only person in that room who has to be told to stand up yeah. face the wall um like because everyone else knows and then everybody goes back to it uh just the back to the way that because they don't mm. they don't go oh that's always a weird thing we do isn't it they no we do it every day we just fucking gambling yeah. and now we're drinking again like that, that was that was just the thing we do why are you even bringing it up we do it every yeah, day because he's constantly being told how things work like yeah. he's constantly coming up to him and being like well you know oh i'll put money on heads and they're like you idiot you, you don't bet on the heads the only only the backers bet on heads like you bet on the tails and he's just like oh, oh okay i bet on the tails then like <laughs> yeah he's very much an outsider and that, that having to be told like to get up and to look at the warm room to remember the fall and he's it shows how much he's the outsider and how routine and like how um how like almost one they, this yeah. town is like in everybody stops in unison because they're just one entity who yeah. know exactly what to do it definitely captures that kind of like you know obviously this is to the extreme hmm. but it does i think capture quite well that sense of small feeling towns, like a, yeah. even just feeling like a stranger in a strange land yeah like, you know if you you, you go anywhere you like you travel to a country where they don't speak english fucking suddenly it's like you know it's a whole nother world hmm. um and i know like friends who have who have been you know sort of to, to you know like asia and china and things like that where they do they talk about how like there are times where you can just feel completely out of your element hmm. because <clears throat> what's not care to you at all yeah <laughs> um and i thought like like I, i've only been to like kind of europe and stuff where there is a lot of you know it's very like english speaking a lot of the time hmm. but there are there were still a lot of times where you're just kind of standing a bit clueless not really sure how to do or how to act in the situation that you're in and you just kind of have to hope that you don't stand out too much and you know (laughs) just do what everybody else is doing don't worry about it everyone's heading towards that bus you just head towards that bus Mm. and if it takes you in a a weird place that's where you live now well (laughs) that's your home Oh, you brought your sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in Spain, there was a there, there, I I found a piece of land. You could buy a piece of land for seven thousand euros, <clears throat> and I was like, I could get seven thousand euros together. <laughs> seven thousand euros, and then buy like a a tent, yeah, and just live off the land in Spain, and then slowly build yourself <clears throat> a, a little hut, yeah, and then a house. Yeah, and then a mansion. Yeah, then a town of your own in <laughs> my own town, and then I'll get like, what is it in America where you like declare you, yourself a micronation? Like a... Yeah, <laughs> declare yourself a micro... within Spain, Scotland. Sc- Sc- <laughs> Two T's, <laughs> not to be mistaken Scots for any other land. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be mistaken with anywhere northish. <laughs> no, this is an independent country. We yeah. have that at least. Two T's. Did you see Two T's and an S in the middle. Oh, I'm sorry. You, I, I'm afraid this is Scots land. I think you want Scotland. <laughs> it's a common mistake. It's a common misconception. Yeah. We're actually just a white cross with a blue background. <laughs> as well. But it's like an up and down cross. 
<laughs> and my face is on it. Ah, <laughs> uh, nonsense. But yeah, so I, I did think about it, but where am I going to get 7,000 euros from, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, that's the only flaw in that part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, will you be a proper owner? I would be a, lo- I would be a lord then, surely, wouldn't I, if I bought a patch of land? Are you still a lord if your patch of land is in Spain? Well, I don't know how that works. I mean, you're a laird in Scotland if you do it. No, I thought you were a lord. You're a laird. You're a lord. Laird is the Scottish word for lord. Ah, but it's the same fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, but fucking get all sanctimonious. Well, don't get sanctimonious with me, Danny. Jones. I thought you were a nationalist. I thought you loved I am Scotland. Not a nationalist. I thought you loved Scotland. Mate, Scotland... lord is an English word. Look, Scotland's good, but you just hate laird. <laughs> fucking, I can't get a fucking. I can't buy a beer from a shop after 10 o'clock. I can't buy it before 10 o'clock. I can't fucking... I can't fucking get full sugar fizzy juice. They took all that away from us. That's what you'll do in Scotland. You'll be I'm like, a grown-ass man, right? If I want to fucking walk in somewhere and buy a beer at 11 o'clock and also drink my weight in caffeinated sugar, that is my right as a fucking goddamn citizen of this country. It'll be in Scotland where you're like, now you can buy alcohol whenever you like. All I need now is an offie. Just there's other things that annoy in. me. What are the other things? There's other things that annoy me, and I've forgotten them all. But Scotland's a pain. It's a great country. I love it. Best country in the world, but it's a pain in the arse. <laughs> For a country full of people who pride themselves on how much they drink, they sure make it fucking difficult. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't know how much there will be to say about this, but I guess we should probably talk about like the the, the biggest the controversial yeah. scene yeah which is uh obviously the scene in the movie where four of the characters go out in a car and go hunting kangaroos and it is quite like a quite a long extended scene hmm. well it's two separate scenes there's yeah. one that's so there's during the, the day and during there's the night. one that's during the day and that's a it's still horrible they are killing kangaroos on camera but it's it's a lot tamer I guess mm. they they kind of kill one. They send the dog after one, and right as the dog gets it, the camera kind of cuts away. And then the second one they hit with their car, which again, like sort of right as the car hits it, it cuts away. But then they go out drinking, and then later that night they head out again, and that's where it gets a bit more kind of very just uncomfortably violent. Mm. Um, which is where they are just they're just shooting down, t- like dozens of kangaroos um and it's quite like quite horrible to watch yeah, just no just being very aware that they are real animals who are dying like who are being shot for the sake of this fucking movie which a good movie but you know we don't need that yeah there's profit it's there's prosthetic yeah. or like you know they they can't like they can't do the whole usual thing on oh, no animals were harmed in the making of this film because yeah. this is like it's actual actual animals that are harmed on camera there's the 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 noted i was gonna say so we've been trying to make heads or tails of this i think i have heads or tails again yeah right so so for the film finishes when the film finishes after the credits have rolled uh there's a producer's note that comes up uh, and it says the hunting scenes depicted in this film were taken during an actual kangaroo hunt by professional licensed hunters for this reason and because the survival of the australian kangaroo is seriously threatened these scenes were shown uncut after consultation with the leading animal welfare organizations in Australia and the United Kingdom. 
Now, I, I, I'm struggling to wrap my head around that because it makes it sound like they've said, yeah, you know what, the, the, the Australian kangaroos, uh, you know, they're seriously threatened. The survival of them is seriously threatened. So, you know, if you're going to fucking kill all these kangaroos, you better make it worthwhile and show them all in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, for the start, it seems like the um, the original idea is that the, the, the hunt is going to happen anyway. So what they've done is just filmed it. Yeah. So like it's their film is more incidental. Okay. Um. So at least in that not very not very great sense, it is kind of more. Um. They're not killing kangaroos for the film. They're just filming kangaroos that were getting killed mm-hmm. anyway. I don't think it's in, in uh, kangaroos are an endangered species at all. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, because they're, they're they're considered they're, vermin. Yeah, Australia. they're quite yeah, yeah. common over there. Um. But. Uh, the what I um, got from researching a bit further was that uh, they started off with this sort of incidental. They wanted to portray this um, these kangaroos being shot to, to to show the brutality of these characters, and they were doing it with real kangaroos that were being shot anyway. But um, they they crew and uh, production team found it hard to watch it, mm-hmm. and they were really touched by it, um, like like really sort of horrified by it. And they even, I've read it somewhere, um, uh, faked a power outage to stop the shooting. Really? Yeah. To like to try and like make an excuse to stop the mm-hmm. brutality of it. Because apparently the guys were getting drunk. The people, the yeah. professional, were getting drunk and I it was, was getting out of hand. <clears throat> so I read that part as well. And I was going to say, I feel like nothing s- seems more in keeping with this film than the hunters were getting really drunk yeah (laughs) and they started to miss they're the real life versions of what this film's trying to portray they describe it as it was becoming an orgy of killing and the crew was getting sick of it Mm. kangaroos hopped about hopelessly with gun wounds and trailing intestines jesus christ like so what they're trying to protect here and why they've left it uncut it's not like well, you know, we it, it's been used. We might as well use it. It's more that, um, according to this, it's um, closing credits suggest that these are disturbingly confronting images were, were kept uncut as a deliberate statement against licensed uh, hunting of kangaroos. Mm. Um, so the idea, I guess, is that like they want to show the brutality of it to encourage people not to do it. Mm. And so, sort of exposing that, which is kind of weird, like all this mini statement that's happening, like in within. Yeah. this film um but they were like no but it's quite an odd way of doing it because it's it in the context of the film it does seem like it's kind of reveling in the yeah violence a little bit not in like a oh man how fucking crazy is this but like obviously the the the, the characters who take john grant out hunting they're mm. loving it mm. and john grant for a lot of it seems to be enjoying himself as well he seems to be finding the fun in it so I don't know. It's quite. It's quite odd. Yeah. It's uh, especially because Doc's there. As but then well. I guess if you're making them out to seem like the sort of fucking kind of people who would go out and hunt hmm. animal, you know, would go out and hunt kangaroos, then I guess it does make sense because it's yeah. weird. I don't think I feel it feels like it wasn't their intention to to highlight um, how badly these kangaroos were treated. But while they were there, realizing that it was horrible and mm. they wanted to portray that in the film so that it would stop other people from going out and doing it yeah it's weird it's a 
Uh, it makes me think because there's a, a scene in um, Crocodile Dundee where they are shooting um, kangaroos. I wonder. I'm just trying to double check. Yeah, yeah. Because Crocodile Dundee is an 80s film. That's what I thought. So I wonder how if that had any influence on that. Because there's a the scene in Crocodile Dundee. There's these people in the night, and it's very. It feels very similar watching it, and they're shooting kangaroos, and uh, then the quite comically. They uh, Mick Dundee, like uh, he uh, he gets hold of one of the the kangaroos uh, that have been shot, and they come across this one, and he props up with a gun in his hand, the kangaroo's hand, and starts shooting back at the hunters. Okay. Um, the idea, and the hunters like, oh fuck, he's got over it. He's fucking shooting us with a gun. Um, I wonder if that is any response, like, is any way influenced by this film? I don't know because I wonder if they would have even seen this. But it's not too long afterwards. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like anyone saw it at the time. It seems like a film that has gained has no, yeah, okay. gained right later. But yeah. did it maybe have more of a um, in Australia? Yeah, in like Australia, more... where there were but a lot of people who worked on Crocodile Dundee who've seen it. Yeah, because it's very much an anti kangaroo. Maybe moment. I mean I guess you have to imagine that kangaroos are in abundance in Australia. Like it must be a topic of debate. Yeah. You know, because presumably there are a lot of people who just go out and shoot them, and there's a lot of people who strongly disagree with that. We obviously don't see that as much because we don't live there. Hmm. But you know, we the similar thing here with the fucking fox hunting and yeah. stuff. You know, well, there's certain, there's certain species where they are supposed they usually hunted uh, hunted on the purpose that it helps the species, which mm. is not really that's a hard justification to go down, and I'm not sure how, um like. Um, how true it is for certain things, but like certain certain species, like they populate so much that like it it, it depletes their obviously natural resources, mm. their food and stuff. So it helps, but um, yeah. So it's a it must be a really hard debate to have over there, and yeah. aided by this film that shows just how brutal it is and horrible. And kangaroos are quite obviously known for being leapy, and it's really hard to watch. Like, because that's the image you're seeing. You're seeing they're shot like in a leg. And they're like trying to balance and they're leaping around and it's quite disturbing. Like yeah. it's very frantic the way they're um, reacting to the gunshots. Yeah. It was really disturbing. I also... It, I was glad when it was over. Yeah. <laughs> like that. It is really a weird addition to this film because it almost like... Almost derails the film for a second to have their like their own sort of like sub-message. Because mm-hmm. you become very focused on like... Because it is a long sequence. It's yeah. like 10 minutes long. Well, that's what they're saying. The produ- producers notice that it's been left uncut for a reason yeah and uh, that the animal for welfare of uh, australia united kingdom have agreed that it should remain uncut mm-hmm. to show how brutal it is yeah i i would agree with that though yeah i wouldn't yeah well i get it because like, it's it, never going to be as uncomfortable as irreversible so no <laughs> <laughs> um just a, a, a note to end on with that that sort of topic was uh I just enjoyed this. Director Ted Kotcheff, a professed vegetarian, <laughs> has defended his use of the hunting footage in the film. I like that. I wonder yeah. if he was vegetarian before the movie. Or... Maybe. It may be something he's done since because mm. of the film. I, don't, I mean, it would be weird if you were like a vegetarian, want to direct this film, and was aware that there'd be a sequence where you were yeah. going to shoot kangaroos. So maybe he's a, a vegetarian after the fact. I wonder if he did anything else. The characters in this film, when they kill kangaroos, they cut off their balls because they say that's the tastiest part. Mm-hmm. Would you try kangaroo balls? Well, they're now? not wrong. Well, <laughs> well. <laughs> you'd know from experience. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, do you do you have anything else that you want to say no, about except, Wicked Fright? Except that the guy who directed this directed First Blood. No way. Yeah. Really. That yeah. Confessed. Well, we are just quiet right now. This is not good audio. Uh, self-confessed vegetarian. Oh my god! So he did. Directed First Blood. Why? Wow. There you go. And most, a... his most recent directing, Law and an Order. episode of Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> How do you fall so far? I did actually. I did think the direction in this was really good. Like I said to you, I thought. I think for the time it was made in, I think the pacing of it. Yeah. Is is um. Like I said, it doesn't feel like there's anything in it that feels unnecessary, I didn't yeah. think. Like, even the... There is a lot of scenes of them just kind of drinking, but that is the film. Like, mm. that is the point of that film. So, you know, is there's just nothing else that these guys do, so this is their day. This yeah. is their day-to-day, and he's getting sucked into that lifestyle. Um, but I did, I thought, uh, especially the... There's a kind of montage sequence at the end where he's running to Doc's house to kill him. Um, and it's kind of him running through the desert just all sway and bloody and just a mess and it's all kind of intercut with these shots of doc and the stuff mm. that they've done throughout the movie and um yeah like i thought there was some good like solid solid directing in it mm. and even just the hunting stuff like something that was impressing me was especially the kind of daytime hunting with the fact that that is just really happening like they are keeping up with all the action, you know. That I don't want to put it like that, but like you, you get what I mean. Yeah. Like they are keeping up with everything that's going on, like very, very well. It's a very like fast-paced, like quite well-edited um, sequence. Like you under, you kind of know what's going on, and I don't know. Like I said, for something that was genuinely happening, and apparently these guys, these hunters, were fucking drunk and hmm. mindlessly driving through the the you know the outback and stuff. I thought it was pretty well done until the nightmare starts happening <laughs> yeah um, and yeah i still i think literally my only thing is just kind of the ending i just feel just a couple aspects of the ending i don't fully understand hmm. maybe if i read into it more like i'll get yeah, more maybe of if, I, if, of it, if you were to rewatch it you might get more of it yeah i guess it's weird that like the idea that um he uh if he does try to accept doc's philosophy of like how to deal with like and to be um, content. It's then weird that that they're depicted as such bad people, yeah, such heavy drinkers, and also like such. Um, they're obviously with the brutality of the kangaroos and stuff. It's like, yeah, it's a weird sort of like. Is it is it him accepting the content of his situation a good thing? Is he becoming more like Doc, but that's a bad thing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. It is weird. I would definitely recommend it though, if you can like stomach that kind of film, that kind of just uncomfortable like feeling uncomfortable for about two hours yeah i would definitely recommend it like i really thought it was a, a fascinating watch yeah and i was totally sucked in to the whole thing Aye. um just out of pure curiosity to see where it was going um but with that danny do you want to wrap up so i can go pee yeah no problem <laughs> uh, if you want to get in contact us with us you can contact us with twitter and facebook second opinion that's second with a two heard of it yeah um Eat your bloody J.K. Simmons, boys your JK and Simmons. girls. Eat your Australian J.K. Simmons. Put a little twist on it there for you. Eat your bloody M&M's, mate. Eat them yeah. up. That's probably what they would say over there. Yeah. yeah. Is it offensive to do the Australian accent? No, they're white. We've established Oh, this. of course. I forgot. <laughs> Should be
that's 